Welcome to the Mucus Free Life Podcast, and I am Professor Spira, and uh, we have a beautiful, wonderful show for you today. We got Brian Mirabella on to talk about how the mucusless diet healing system and plant-based lifestyle and transitioning and breath work and uh how that has been totally transformative to his life and how he's helped a lot of other people transform their lives using all of these beautiful naturopathic, natural, natural ways to heal, natural ways to eat, natural ways to live. We don't have to suffer living diametrically opposed to Mother Nature. That's what happens when you put these vehicles running around here with putting all this poisonous gas in the air with having constipated people tell you that you're supposed to put poison in your bloodstream and in your body and in your lymph system, whatever. When you live in that kind of situation, we have to understand we have given up our freedoms to those filthier than us because in the world of pus and mucus based living and eating the folks that tend to be at the top that are calling the shots and running the show or at least the 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 ones that are deferred to when because people don't want to run their own lives and take responsibility for themselves so they it's it's easier to blame some figurehead or some politician or something and say oh biden did this and trump did that and bush and this and that and it's like oh you know they're they're gonna have their constipation issues and then do uh that they're gonna have to deal with but we got to take responsibility for ourselves because if you waiting on some government or you waiting on some doctor authority or some something like that to tell you that it's okay to live a certain way oh it's it's okay to do such and such it's it's okay to not get poisoned <laughs> so, you know if you're gonna wait for that you're gonna be waiting for a very very long time so uh so yeah so we will bring brian on momentarily and i uh, wanted to make one quick announcement so this is the first episode where i've ever done this where we actually have a uh, a sponsor for this episode and i want to start having some sponsors to help support the show and but I only talk about any kind of, if I ever talk about a product or something, it's only something that I use and that I'm actually really into. And so I, you've probably, you might've seen other people talk about this uh, from there. But if you don't have a VPN, which means virtual private network, then all of you are totally naked when you get online and get on the internet. You, you, anything, every, message you send every website you go to it is all visible and especially if you're using these centralized kind of 
Googles and the Facebooks and YouTube and all this stuff, all of your data is, is tracked and the metadata is tracked. They just, what, they're going to change Facebook to meta or whatever that, like Alphabet and Google and meta is going to be the Facebook there, but they're letting you know they're, they want to control everything. Google, that's, they want to control the alphabet, everything about language and information. Facebook, the meta, they want to control the metaverse, everything that's out there. So you got to understand how to protect yourself. And uh, VPN, and uh, I've used NordVPN. I think I first got it like 2010 or 2011. And I'm going to drop a link, and there's one down below. I'm going to drop a link for the NordVPN. If you use – it's an affiliate link. If you use the link and uh, and and get it, you, you think it's – because if, if you already have a VPN, beautiful. If you don't have a VPN yet, then, like, seriously, I'm – you know, we you support the show and you help us out if you use that link. But I'm telling you, whether you get that or something else, you need a VPN. And actually the first time that I ever used a VPN, I was I think like 2001 or 2002 when I got to college and let me tell you the experience of those, you really never knew if it was working or not. Cause these were really, really old. This was like the, the wild west of, of, you know, the internet was basically new at that time. And I didn't like the idea of the colleges being able to look at all of my traffic and that was kind of the thing and that was the era where they were trying to target college students and say oh if you're downloading something that you shouldn't be downloading or sharing things amongst each other that you shouldn't be sharing then they were kicking people out of school suing kids 18 year old kids suing them for a million dollars sony come in or something so the i learned early on vpn was a way to if you just don't want to be looked at and messed with, then turn it on. And so I was very happy 10 years, 11, about 11 years later when Nord came out and checked it out. I was like, okay, this is actually a really good product. It makes it easy. It's very reliable in terms of you click the button and boom, it's on protecting your, your data and everything. So anyway, they got a really great deal. You can save 72% off, up to 72% off on some of their various packages. So click that link, mucusfreelife.com forward slash NordVPN if that's something that you're interested in. And if you don't have a VPN yet, because you, you really should have one, you can put it on your desktop, put it on your phone, all that good stuff. And there's some things coming down the pike that I can't talk about yet, but that I'll be talking about soon where you're going to have to have a VPN. So get ready. Be ready for that. So... Without any further ado, let's bring on our guest today. Mr. Brian Mirabella is a human performance specialist with over three decades of industry experience and a belief in the simple idea that there is no such thing as overtraining, only under recovery. He's a lifelong athlete and a natural motivator uh, who discovered early on his gift for helping others improve their health and well-being through breath work nutrition and progressive loaded movement give it up everybody for mr brian mirabella what's going on man uh, hey what's going on 
Yeah, yeah. So it feels like we, we we have a live audience. We just can't hear them. You know, everybody. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, they're they're clapping right now. They're screaming. Most everybody loves you, and and I'm gonna help help everybody uh, have a great show tonight. So I'm yeah, I'm definitely. Excited. You're 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 the top dog, man. Your your book is my Bible, my health Bible. So I'm like, you know, I met a lot of famous people in my life. Not that that matters. I care more about being with someone like you who's, you know, under the radar in terms of fame, but changing the world from the inside out. So this means a lot to me, Professor. Oh, well, I appreciate you saying that, man. And yeah, really excited to have you on here. So tell us, introduce everybody uh, to, uh, to, to who you are and what you're doing and uh, kind of uh, give, give everybody the, the rundown. Okay. Well, uh, I'm, I'm 52 years old. I was born and raised in the Bronx. I was born in 1969. And um, I've always been a, a mover and an athlete. From the time I was five years old, I was racing kids on the block and beating the eight and 10 year old boys. So I just always had this gift to be like a monkey. I mean, that's what that's what everybody called me. I was a monkey. So I was this natural mover. And, um, and I gravitated to become an athlete. And I started wrestling at 14. I wrestled all through high school and college, captain of the, te- of the football team, the wrestling team, captain in college, did really well in college, uh, continued to wrestle after that. And then I became a power lifter after my wrestling career. So I was always strong. So I, I became like the, I had the 11th strongest squat in the, in the country, drug free at 165 pounds. I used to put 622 pounds on my back. I tell you that because, you know, that was jock angry emotional brian mm. put me in those defensive offensive positions yeah. for years and then all the all the adrenaline and all the cortisol and all the human growth hormone i put in my body mm. you know and and the taxation on my adrenal glands so i was i was okay i could go you know balls to the wall put my head through a wall but felt good thought i felt good but i you know it doesn't mean it's good for you so I always tell my students, you don't know how good you don't feel. And then I transitioned. I started to transition at like 39 because everything in my body started to break down. Mm. I had a 90% torn left biceps tendon. I, I had a destroyed two discs in L, uh, S1 and L5 that orthopedic surgeon was telling me, you need surgery. And I didn't get any. And I've been able to, over the last 10 years, go from being a broken down man, an athlete who thought I would never be able to do anything again to now what I would consider to be the best shape of my life at the age of 52. And um, it started as soon as I started transitioning my food 10 years ago. Mm. And, and my transition took uh, eight, uh, seven and a half years because I've been um, on the mucus free lifestyle now three and um, two and a half years. Mm. So really my transition was seven and a half years and I, it was good because when I went on the mucus free lifestyle, I didn't really suffer because I'm as a wrestler, you're used to cutting weight. So every night when I started to feel down and I realized, that, OK, that's my body healing. It's sending all the energy to my healing pathways, you know, and then uh, I would eat like guacamole on a raw food wrap just to quell my nerves because I mm. knew that to pull on my lymphatic system because I read your book. So mm. the reason I'm saying this is because I read the book. So I, you know, and I was already in the lifestyle, getting healthy. 
So my mind was very focused on it. I picked things up quickly when it comes to my health. And then I, I knew how to transition during the fruitarian lifestyle. And now I don't really crave anything else but living raw foods, which is shocking, really. Yeah. But it, it's shocking. I mean, you know, that's a that's a snapshot. But I mean, I came from the depths of society. Like I also, you know, I didn't grow up very, very nice. I was mm. uh, picked on a lot. I grew up in the Bronx. You know, um, I grew up in an Irish neighborhood. And I, I got to be honest, because this is where I came from. You know, I, I grew up next to uh, Fordham. And if a black person walked in my neighborhood, we we bullied them. And I couldn't go in their neighborhoods. And that's how I was mentally trained. That was my belief system. Yeah. So to be where I am now, to be compassionate and trying to help the world now and be loving to my brothers and sisters, you know, I can't I can't feel bad about what I did because that was my experience. But boy, it just shows that everybody can change, right? And when you start eating these living foods, boy, you change even more. Your, your consciousness really goes through the roof. And then all of a sudden, all you care about is serving other people. And luckily, that's where I am now. So, and, I, and I'm overjoyed to be here with you. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, that's, that's beautiful, man. So you said you were around 30, 39. Like, to describe a little bit of that when, when you say things were starting to break down. Like, what, what was really, what were some of those symptoms? Yeah, well, I, I already had uh, irritable bowel syndrome. I... Mm -hmm couldn't breathe. I had mucus in my nose all the time. You know, I woke up, I blew my nose every day because I grew up in an Italian family household. So I was always eating pasta and cheeses and, and pizza. I thought, oh, a little bread, a little cheese, because I've always been ripped, right? Mm -hmm. And I've always been lean. So I thought I could eat those foods and they don't hurt me. Right. But I didn't realize through your book that I probably had a lot of uric acid stored inside me, which is why I was able to be lean because I wasn't absorbing any nutrients. My kidneys weren't functioning. Mm -hmm. And then I, I started to um, break down. So I tore a left biceps tendon 90%. I herniated these discs. I was in agony. I anguished for about two and a half years until I found a Thomas Myers anatomy trains teacher, mm -hmm. which is like the gold standard of physical therapy that again, like, like you mm -hmm. and our lifestyle, it's getting a lot of, it's getting popularity, but it's still under the radar, right? right? Well, this, this form of healing people is still under the radar and they were able to rebalance my fascial tissue by releasing the stress in my tissue. So then my fascia started to be more balanced. I was able to eliminate more waste, but now I realize that the reason I hurt my discs, the reason I, I tore my biceps tendon was never because of the actual injury and now that I understand the lymphatic system, now I realize that I was accruing acids in the area where I was under most stress. Mm -hmm. The lower back is usually family history, mom. My mom was, I had a terrible childhood. So now where the stress collects in the body, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of carbon dioxide produced, which is going to create lactic acid. And if your adrenal glands are blown out and your kidneys aren't functioning, then all those acids are going to collect. So my kidneys were shot. So what, what do you think went wrong on my body? My lower back. Mm. Because all those acids backed up into the interstitial spaces. And now they can no longer slide, glide, and rotate. So they were just waiting for that moment where there was too much stress for them to give out. But back then, I didn't know that. 
But now I realize all oh, that was the process of what was really the ongoing process of me getting hurt. And then, of course, my body was trying to help me as much as it could, but it was just overloaded with toxemia and acidosis. And then I, uh, I became vegan six years ago. But again, well, I went vegetarian and when I was 42, and that started to help. It cleared up a little bit of my constipation problems, but not that much because I didn't give up cheese and breads. And then six years ago, I went vegan, but it was a transition. I didn't give up dairy right away. It was tough. I used to eat egg whites, eight egg whites a day. Mm. That was 20 pounds heavier. I was jacked to the max, <laughs> right? And I, and I had all that cortisol and stress inside me, so I, I needed it. It was hard to give up. You know, I, everybody looks at me now and they're like, oh, God, how do you do that? It wasn't easy. It right. wasn't easy. It was a it was a tough transition, but something was guiding me to better health. And then I read I found Dr. Morse. He talked about your book. I read your book. So this is about a little over three and a half years ago. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, my God. You mean I can't ever eat cooked food again? I can only eat fruits, berries, melons and salads. And I was like, but then I started reading all the research about how you can clean your body and that people can literally transform themselves. And I said, I'm going to do it. So three and a half years ago, 32 months ago, I went fruitarian. And again, the first six months, every single night, I needed something to quell the pull of the lymphatic system on my nerves. Mm. So I would make myself guacamole. I'd put it on a raw food vegetable wrap and I would eat it because... I felt as a wrestler, I, I felt sucked out, like I was cutting weight. And I lost mm -hmm. 15 pounds in six months. Mm -hmm. And I also defecated like I couldn't believe. I was like, where is all of this coming from? <laughs> right? That 10 to 15 pounds that's stored mm -hmm. in your bone and your intestines. I was just floored. And, you know, like a scientist, I'd be looking in the bowl, taking pictures of it, yep, <laughs> trying to see yep. if there are any worms in it. <laughs> yep. Well, that's the tradition. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you have to become a scientist over it. And then, uh, so I, uh, so that was three and a half years ago I started, but I started with acupuncture five years ago. And I, and I was already on the healthy road. I go to a network chiropractor for the last nine years who does healthy brain living, works on your chakras. I see the Thomas Myers body worker for nine years. You know, but again, I was, when you put 600 pounds on your back for years, you compact everything in your body. So all that acid gets smushed. And then if, if, you're, if your tissue is like a baby, right? And it's soft snow that's just fallen on a field. So a baby's tissue is soft, like fresh, fresh laid down snow. But as the baby gets older and it takes its 10,000 steps. So if somebody's stepping in the snow and then 10,000 people are walking behind them, by the time you get to 10,000, the bottom of the snow is now rigid. It's ice. So I had become ice at mm. the interstitial levels, the lowest levels of my body. Yeah. And there's still parts of my body that are like ice. She said, the body worker says there's parts of your body that are luscious, but there's parts of your body that are still like steel because you don't just overcome that in, in two and a half years. I know it's going to take me a journey and the healing journey never ends. So I went to an acupuncturist. And she was pretty gifted. And she said to me, my first session, she's from Poland. So her bedside manners aren't so great. She's very <laughs> direct. <laughs> so she said to me, 
let me see your tongue. Let me listen to your pulse. And she said, <laughs> she said, guys like you have a heart attack in their 60s and die. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, what? Yeah. And I was ego driven. I was like, you got to be kidding me. Right. He's like, well, tell me a little bit about your life. Do you sleep well? And I'm like, no, I have really bad insomnia. She's like, what happens when you sleep? I go, well, I wake up because I'm sweating. I sweat a lot. She's like, you're burning up. She's like, your kidneys aren't mm -hmm. even functioning. She's like, you're lucky you where you are where you are now. And I was like, I, I, you know, I, I, I just didn't understand because I'd never learned any of this. I'm a traditional kinesiology kind of guy, mm -hmm. you know, lever system, right. lifter. And it was just overwhelming to my psyche. But something said she's right. Because if she knows the symptoms that I have and I didn't tell her, mm -hmm. <laughs> she's got to be right. So uh, I went to her for two years. I, I didn't go often enough because you really got to go at least once a week. You have yeah. to be in that condition. Mm -hmm. You've got to be consistent. It's not, it's not a quick fix. So two years later, she still said to me, you know, I told her my hands are cold in the winter. My feet are cold, my hands. And she said, well, you have Reynolds disease. And I was like, what's that? And I looked it up. She told me it's a circulation problem. And I said to her, well, I can heal, right? And she didn't say it in a bad way because we'd become friends. And she said, well, you know, you're, you're 49 years old. And what happens to people is their blood dries out. And it's it's kind of like, you know, a fight not to let that happen faster than it would. So I she didn't believe, she, you know, she didn't have that belief that I could heal. Mm. Even though she didn't really say it, she wasn't saying it in a bad way. Right. And I just said, I I can't I can't continue to come because I have to be with somebody who believes that I can heal. And then I found Dr. Morse on YouTube. Again, like this thing, it just got the guides put that in front of me, right? They gave me that information because they said, okay, this, this man can do it because I know he'll have a, tor a story to tell one day, like now, and even in five years, it'll be better. So I, I read, I started listening to Dr. Morse on YouTube and he mentioned your book and I read your book and I was just like, oh my God, this is unbelievable. This is like information that I got to share with the world, but I can't share it unless I live it. Mm. So I had already had a new acupuncturist and this is the story. This is what you've been waiting for. <laughs> so he's the same year as me. He's Chinese. He's year of the rooster. He's 11 years older than me. And I go in my first session and he assesses me and he said, why did you leave your last acupuncturist? And now he's a Qigong master. Mm. He moves like the wind and he was very calm. And I told him what her assessment was. And, she, and he goes, I agree with her assessment. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, are you kidding me? I haven't improved at all because I wasn't on a mucus-free free lifestyle. Right. I was, I was a, 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 um, a cooked food vegan and my kidneys weren't working. Mm. They weren't filtering. And all I kept doing was putting more acid in my body because I was combining all these foods and I was still overeating. You know, as a wrestler, I had this thing that I need to stuff myself because I wanted to be big still, right? So I would eat and eat and eat and, of course, not gaining weight because I was loaded with uric acid. So I started – I saw him for eight months, and then I, I read your book, and I said, okay, I'm going to start a fruitarian lifestyle. 
And he said, I don't think you should do that. And I was like, why not? He goes, because you need protein. And I said, Dr. Ming, I actually haven't had protein in like five years already. Hmm. I guess I never told you that. I said, he said, well, okay, all right, then you need to eat more. If you're going to eat fruit, you need to eat a lot. Eat as much as you can. So I, for that moment, I, I listened to him and I, I actually did need to eat more because I felt sucked out all the time. So one month later, and, I, and at that point, I was seeing him every week because I was getting a little better. He's a master at removing inflammation, but it wasn't happening fast enough. I wasn't really changing. So after a month, he said to me, listen to my pulse, look at my tongue. He said, wow, you're changing rapidly. Mm. Said, this diet's working for you and you should stay on it. And I'm learning from you. And I was like, okay, now this is what I want to hear because now I know like I'm a wrestler, I'm dedicated. So now I know if this is working for me, nothing's going to deter me from regenerating my body. If a starfish can regrow a leg, Mm-hmm. You could take out half a person's liver and I could heal everything in my body. So eight months later, I'm still on the mucus free lifestyle. And he says, you know, one day he just says to me, you know, Brian, I, I want to say something to you. He said, what you have done is remarkable. He said, when you came to me, your kidneys were in sub basement level eight. He said, people with your kidney dysfunction I'm working on them, trying to stop them from getting worse. He said, I have never seen anybody do what you've accomplished. He said, not only have you reversed all of your kidney disease, he said, you're now strengthening your kidney chi energy, and that's almost impossible. And that's what the previous acupuncturist thought, right? Mm. That's what she saw. Your kidney energy is your primordial energy. If you don't remove waste, it doesn't matter what you bring into your body because you're toxified. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Professor Spiro. Yep. <laughs> so I knew all this, right? And by this time, my consciousness was already going up. My brain was less foggy. So the information that I was downloading was on a much deeper level. And I was feeling it. And I was understanding it. And then COVID happened in New York. You know, we had got hit first, mm. shut down first. So I didn't go to him for seven and a half months. <laughs> Professor, I went back to him. And he said, he listened to my pulse, looked at my tongue, and he said, wow, you've gotten better. Mm. He said, you haven't had any work done? I said, no. He said, oh, my God, you've gotten better since I've seen you. He said, are you still doing your diet? I said, of course. He said, stay on this diet because this is the best thing I've ever seen. And I was like, Mm. thank you. Thank you to put me, the guides guided me in this direction. I used my own free will. Right. Because I do. I could go. I say this all the time, but I could go mainline heroin tomorrow and screw it all up. <laughs> right. Right. I could, yeah, I yeah. Want it, but I don't want to because I'm vibrating at a much higher level. And when you start, when I started to remove all those acids out of my body and remove my constipation, I could think clearer. Then I, I started to gravitate to the things that were best for me, the foods that I knew were going to make me feel better, that were going to nourish me. And I also read the book. Have you read the book Return to the Brain of Eden? To the brain, the brain of Eden. I've heard of that one. I haven't read that one. You have got to read this book. Tony mm. Wright is on your level. Yeah. He's he's done sleep deprivation. He's gone 10 days without sleeping and he had mm. an awakening. Yeah. So when he went, when he stayed up for those days, his left brain went bye-bye. And he became ambidextrous, multilingual. 
you, oh my God, this man's information. And he talks about the neurochemistry of fruit on mm. a level that's just insane. Yeah. He said, you know, the fruit is the reproductive sex organ of the plant. It has the perfect neurochemistry for the brain because that's what humans lived on. They were frugivores. And that's, you know, when Adam and Eve left the garden, their first sin was they ate figs because before that they were, they were breatharians. So when they ate that fig, even though it helped their brain develop, it also took them out of the light and it densified their body. Right. So, you know, this is, this is just, I mean, I, I have like just you to thank Dr. Morse to thank Tony Wright and, and my own consciousness. And, and I need to, I wanted to tell people and I reached out to you guys and I was in shock when you said, yeah, I want to do a podcast with you. And then you're like, <laughs> for me, you'd be like Derek Jeter. Like, <laughs> that's, how, that's how I feel like you are to me growing up a Yankees fan. Yeah. I mean, it was the, the timing just was perfect because we literally just had sort of started with the series. Like, okay, we're going to do a weekly, get back to the weekly show and, I'll start uh, reaching out to some people and yeah, I was, and I was thinking about you, you were on my list. And so that was like just a universe thing, you know, just, just plugged it in. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I tell everybody out there too, I didn't even know you had a uh, mucus free lifestyle program. So I just purchased it myself three days ago. And I would tell everybody out there to go and get this program because boy, you made it really affordable. I mean, because obviously it's not about money for you. You want to touch the world and it's extremely affordable. So everybody needs to go out and get this program because you, it will change your life. You have no idea how good you don't feel right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and then, as you know, I, I told you I'm an oxygen advantage master instructor. So during this whole time, I started breath work. And again, I was a jock. I was an emotional, angry jock. <laughs> and then when I started Breathwork, which was four years ago, I also started to, you know, to realize that I wasn't breathing. Mm. Because if my kidneys aren't functioning, if my lymph is stagnant and my diaphragm is shut off, then my, my lungs can't expand. So the pressure, the internal pressure in my body was killing me, which is why I was burning up. Right. And then I started breath work and now I have, you know, I'm teaching people from all over the world. And the breath work that I teach is actually uh, second to none. And I don't mean that in a cocky way. It's that we get our roots. The oxygen advantage is roots come from the Buteco method. And in, in Eastern Europe, the Buteco method has healed every disease known to man just through breathing mm -hmm. because it can clean your lymph. So now I'm cleaning my lymph through my breath. And I'm cleaning my lymph through the mucus-free lifestyle. And I'm still only where I am now. So I, I also have to tell people, look, you you got to have some discipline. you got to have some dedication. And it's not a quick fix. But that's okay because the journey is beautiful. Because when you have those aha moments, when you start to feel better, you start to notice things about yourself, there's nothing better than feeling good about the road you're on. I mean, it's just remarkable and it's only going to get better. Yeah. Yeah. So, so talk a little bit about your, your, the deep, some of the details of your transition, kind of like what you were eating before. And, you know, you kind of said you got, went into vegetarian and then vegan, you know, but what were, what were some of those things? Was it like kind of the, some of the, in the vegan periods, like soy burgers or, 
that that kind of the process stuff or uh, was it vegetable or I kind of what 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 did that look like and how did that sort of transition like how, how long did it take you to get from sort of point to point right that's a great question well I would say when I was when I was 42 and I gave up meat I was I was eating I was eating eight egg whites every morning with cheese with tons of oil and I was then I would have three chicken breasts for lunch with rice then I'd have three chicken breasts again for lunch then for dinner I would either eat steak or chicken with vegetables, you know, all cooked. Never once did I eat any fruit. <laughs> I ate no fruit whatsoever, even though I, I grew up when they would force me to eat fruit. Mm. Somehow my grandfather knew, the older people knew, right? He'd always make me grapefruits and bananas and things like that. But I lost touch with that because I wanted to be big and strong. And um, I didn't really eat a lot of processed foods. When I was 17, right before my senior year of high school wrestling, I gave up all fast foods because somehow I just knew it wasn't good for me. So from the age of 17, I've never touched fast food. Um, and I was, I've mostly been off processed foods most of my life. Mm. I just knew that if it, had, if it came in a package, then I shouldn't be eating it. But as I went vegan, I did go into the supermarkets and I did look for vegan alternatives that made me feel like I was eating something else, like a chicken or a meat. And then I didn't, because I wasn't really paying attention. I'm like, oh, shit, these are also processed. They have chemicals <laughs> in them. <laughs> right. It was weird, right? I gave it up, but then I thought, oh, it's vegan. It must be healthy for me. And I didn't put two and two together. So I did go down that road for a little while. I had a few impossible burgers, but then I, I, I researched into them and I gave that stuff up. And then, uh, you know, I was also, I was on soy for a while, much, many years ago. Mm -hmm. I was getting angry all the time. And my girlfriend mm -hmm. at the time, her sister was vegan. And her sister, she complained to her sister and she goes, well, Brian, Brian went vegan. Is he, is he eating a lot of soy? And she's like, yeah, all the time. And she's like, oh, that's killing him. <laughs> you know, he can't eat all that soy. It's not in his DNA to eat all that soy. So I gave up soy. And then, um, you know, in the transition, the transition, my transition diet wasn't because I learned it. It was just simply as I got cleaner and I ate stuff, like even when I went vegan every month or so, I would say, okay, I've been vegan for a month. Now I'm going to have pizza this Sunday night. It's a month after I've, I've been vegan for a month. Now I'm having pizza <laughs> and I would eat processed food, which I didn't understand that even eating a pizza was processed food. Mm. <laughs> you know, yeah. I thought that it was a healthy, bad cheat food, mm. right? I didn't put two and two together. It's so strange to me now. Right. But I thought about it like that. I'm like, okay, this isn't bad for me. It's once in a while. So uh, little by little, I was transitioning. And then the longer time that went in between, I maybe would go five weeks where all of a sudden I didn't want to have um, an omelet or I didn't want to have, um, uh, like yogurt with berries, you know, because I, all of a sudden I started to realize that I wasn't craving those foods. So as the time got longer in between, I started to not miss these foods and then I didn't want them as much, but yeah, the last seven and a half years before I went mucus free, there was a lot of those things in there, the processed foods that I didn't know were processed that I would put in my body. 
So that transition, you know, was seven and a half years long to yeah. get to the point where I said, okay, now I'm going to be mucus free living on raw foods. So that's a long, that's a long time. But apparently I needed that amount of time to get myself in the state of consciousness where I could be raw vegan, right? Where I could, I could be like my ancestors. Yeah. And so what, uh, what do you eat now on a sort of day-to-day -day basis? What's, uh, what type of fruit you into and mm. vegetables or that kind of thing? Yeah. I like to post them on my stories on Instagram. So, uh, this morning I had, um, I had an, uh, an entire honeydew melon. They weren't that big, but I ate a whole honeydew melon. And then an hour and a half later, I had a cantaloupe. And then an hour and a half later, I had grapes. And then, um, well, that actually was it today because I didn't start eating. I went 17 hours, 17 and a half hours before my last meal. So I practiced intermittent fasting. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't believe in the keto diet because the keto diet is an emergency system. Our ancestors, when they were walking around trying to find food, yeah, their body went into ketosis because it was an emergency system to keep them alive so they could find food. And then when they found food, what did they do? They didn't, they didn't find a, a steak lying on the ground. They found fruits and they gorged themselves on sugars, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> they gorged themselves on sugars. So that's going to be my food for the next week, for the weekend. That's my weekend mm -hmm. food. You know, and I, the bananas are always at night. So there yeah. is a thing that I, and I wanted to ask you about this. At night, I tend to feel hungrier. I need more dense food. And I know that even bananas have a little bit of mucus and that they stop my detox, but I've still been able to do very well with choosing to have bananas, stopping my detox. And I've only once gone 12 days on grapes mm. and seven days on watermelon. So I actually haven't been in full detox for more than 12 days mm. because usually at night I have bananas, honey crisp apples, and raisins off the vine mm. with maybe a little pumpkin seed butter. So every night I kind of stop my detox, but I'm still eating living raw foods. So I, I wanted to ask you about that in particular. Like, you know, I'm trying to be careful about my food combining, but is eating something like bananas, apple, honey, because honeycrisp apples are antacids, right? So is that negative on my system or is, can I get away with it because I'm doing so well in the other? I mean, you can, yeah, like those, what happens is when you get to a point internally where those mixtures start to create issues where you'll, because there's certain, yeah, like fruit mixtures, if I mix them together, I, it just won't eliminate well. Like I actually, I'll start burping it up or something and it's just, uh, but if you're at a place where it's still eliminating, cause that's kind of my rule is does it eliminate well in your body? And the way that you know, if it's eliminating well is, is there indigestion is, when you have bowel movements, is, it, is there a lot of residue left behind? Is it real sticky or is it super, is it real clean coming through? Uh, those if it's like real sticky and you notice that there's still some residue that's left up there that you can't right. get you know without the enema then you know then you know that okay well this is something that's not either combining well it's not eliminating well mm -hmm. uh so that's so that's kind of how i do that is so so if it's something that for where you're at now that does eliminate and that combination sounds like 
I mean, I'm not a big a- apple with the with the banana because sometimes that, that that can, you know, that I don't know, but bananas anyway, unless it's real ripe, uh, they can cause a little bit of indigestion, you know, just. But uh, but I don't. I also like to don't get too. Uh, uh, too intense when it's like it's like look it's fruit so we're eating it you know you but you can always refine the the process to get it down closer to the mono meals or yeah you have you know the less less you know less meals in the day uh and, and that kind of thing but right. but yeah that, so, that's what i wanted to know because yeah i would like to continue to refine it right so even right now i'm still in a transition mm-hmm. because at night i am mixing those fruits um but I don't feel indigestion, which is which is good. And yeah. my poop never smells. I never have body odor, mm. and there's almost no residue when I when I uh, you know when I use the bathroom. Yeah. So that's really good. And remember, I do acupuncture every. I go every week. I go to a chiropractor every week. Yeah. I get body work done every week. I meditate. I do all my breathing. So I think my my system now is on a is at a very high level. But yeah. Now I'm thinking, okay, maybe it's time to give up the bananas. Let me let me try that to get rid of the bananas and see if I can, if I can just stay purely on the fruits at night. But I get I get hungry, professor, and, mm. and I know that the bananas give me that dense feeling. So what is it that um that that's calling me? Is it is it just the detox that I'm trying to get rid of when it's at night? I mean, yeah, I mean part partly. That could and I and I don't know if you if you got into the enemas at any point, but sometimes oh, I wanted to talk to you about that. Yeah, yeah, because sometimes that that's because that, that's a good experiment to check out. Where at nighttime, when you do, when you know it's kind of late, like ah, I shouldn't be eating now, and maybe and that is a time where it's kind of like where at night, uh, if if you have an injury, it starts hurting more. You know, if you get, you know, it's all 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 that you know, all the acids, all that stuff start coming to the surface and it's like, okay, it's either time to go to bed or we're like, okay, well, let's, let's just try to eat something. And, mm-hmm. uh, but the habit I got into was I would do an enema at, if I was craving something, you know, that I was like, ah, I don't need to eat another meal or something like that. Let me do an enema instead. And that always kind of took care of it. Cause that would just flush the whole, whole system out. And then I could just chill out or go do breath work or go to bed. And so, uh, so that would be something that'd be kind of interesting okay. to, to explore a little bit, but, uh, uh, but yeah, but I mean, the, the one thing it'd be interesting to, to see, like, how do you feel if you, when you go a, a days where you sort of combine Instead of doing that, because that because that is sort of a doctor like what Dr. Morris thinks. A few different people talk about that sort of the the, the smaller fruit meals throughout the day method. Uh, that's cool. But what I'd be interested to see what happens when you do like the uh, the, the the two meal a day, you know, like the, the the big meal in the afternoon and the big meal, you know, kind of in the early evening, and uh, and how how your body responds to to that. Because really, see that a lot of people don't know, don't even they read the book, but then kind of like pick that up that Eric coined the term intermittent fasting. But 
the keto marketing, because to me, the whole keto thing is about marketing. They were brilliant. They put some great campaigns together. They got the medical doctors in to back it up. They did everything they needed to do, got the testimonials, all that stuff. But it's just it's just a marketing campaign that's based on, you know, just the Atkins diet, keto, paleo. You know, they're all kind of you know pretty, pretty related. But they basically took this intermittent fasting concept and they just messed it up. They just turned it into some, something else. But the original Arnold Errett, where he says the word intermittent fasting and mucus's diet and rational fasting was basically just talking about uh either doing if you're doing the one meal a day plan or the no breakfast plan with two meals with like a lunch meal is like the breakfast meal and then the evening meal as as the second meal then uh and if you intersperse that with fast with a day of fasting or you know when he said me and when he said 24 hour fast he was pretty much talking about like the one meal a day plan when I say 24 hour fast, I, I like to think of that as having fasted the entire day, mm. but either way, he used the word intermittent fasting in relationship to those different modalities, whether you're you know eating once a day, uh, having just juice on a day or you know, water or whatever. And then the next day you have mucus free meals. Uh, and so that's really the original intermittent fasting concept. They they went and messed it. <laughs> they messed it up with this whatever the, the with the keto concept of it. Uh, but that would be interesting to see, you know. And because when whenever like kick it up a little bit, uh, it, it's it's I look at it as different levels of fasting. Now, so I get pushed back from some people because there's the fasting purist that will say on, the only kind of fasting is water fasting. Uh, or then dry fasting. And that's even more kind of <laughs> because there's not a lot of people that even should be dry fasting uh, that have enough you know, kind of experience and have really gotten their body alkaline to the point. You know, Brother Air does a lot, a lot of dry fasting, but we don't uh, we don't promote it. But it, that would be interesting to see is because uh, in those meals, you can eat more, you know, combine more, have more food. Uh, in the meal, uh, but you but you just eat less times a day, and so so that'd be that'd be something interesting to see how your you know how your body would respond to that. And if you did that, you might find that you would be more hungry, which <laughs> later which which could push you into uh, if you had to get back into like a tr- more of a transitional menus or some of the other menus in, in the mucus diet book or. Uh, because even uh, Dr. Morris is one thing that I don't I don't know if he talks about a lot, but then I refer people to his book where I'm like, well, he talked about the when you need to have the cooked vegetables, they're there. There's a you know, there's sort of a time and a place uh, when, when you get into those. And so because uh, I, I could see that happening, I could see if you sort of got into like the two two meals a day that that that, that could result. You could find yourself actually getting more sort of bringing up more hunger, you know, more, more of that hunger that that's sort of un- underlying. I look at that as that's just an opportunity to dig deeper, you know, and actually and cl- clean on a deeper level to get to the point where you uh, where the volume of, of the fruit 
is is actually less. And that and I don't adv- I'm not advocate saying that to advocate like ah people should eat less. But I'm saying what I've observed is over time you you do a lot more with less. You know, so you just eat because I used to even when I look at the amount of fruit that I used to eat, it was. Um, yeah, I would eat eat more. Now it's it's kind of down. Like my fruit meals are, are pretty, you know, are, are kind of small. But um, but yeah, but that's uh, you know, just just some things to to think about. But but it's all, you know, but the thing you're doing great just with the transition. It's just I always like to get people prepared for if you, if you do have to take that step back. You know, I don't like using that word step back, but if you have to. You know, there, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with having some of the cooked mucus-free vegetables or the salads or, you know, what whatever is needed to get the, uh, you know, get get the transition rolling. Okay. All right. That that's good to know. Yeah, I I'm not at that that level, but I'll give it a try. That's why I purchased the uh, the program. So, your program. Yeah, and, and you'll see. Like people get surprised by us because we're, because because we have sort of both sides where some of the, some of the things we do are the, in terms of the fasting and that kind of stuff. And now I never recommend long-term fasting for, if you don't have the experience, you know, you do the short, but you build yourself up, you transition yourself to be able to sustain longer and longer. And that's a part, a lot of people don't like to go through those periods where they have to, you know, just, just sort of sit and be kind of weak and you sort of go through that elimination and, and you, and then when you rebuild the, it's like you're rebuilding a, a brand new body that's totally built on the, on the plants, you know, on the, on the fruits and the vegetables. Uh, but yeah, that's uh let's see, we got a, there's a question we'll throw up by uh, Kyrene said, Brian, are you currently eating uh, any vegetables or like any vegetable meals right now? Or are you just hundred percent fruit? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a hundred percent fruit, but four weeks ago I went out to dinner with my wife and the only thing on the menu was a, a salad, which I mm-hmm. usually eat. If I go out, I'll only eat a salad. But so that this night there was a veg, there was a Brussels sprout um, appetizer. Mm. So I said, ah, tonight, it was a special occasion. Tonight, I'm going to eat Brussels sprouts. So I had Brussels sprouts and a salad. Within 40 minutes, mm. I had a horrific stomach ache. And I know it was the Brussels sprouts. All that cellulose hit my body, and, and I was doubled over. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. It was terrible. It was really, really bad. And the next day, yeah. I had diarrhea. And I was like, okay, well, I can't do that again. So no, I don't, I'm not eating any vegetables. It, I'll have a salad, but that's it. I won't eat mm. vegetables. Yeah. That's the, the soft salad. Now what about the, uh, I guess stuff like the cucumbers and that, that sort of the, the, the fruit, <laughs> the, <Right. laughs> the fruit vegetables. Yeah, I would, but generally, uh, since ever since COVID my business is more at home and I get to really do exactly what I want. <laughs> so yeah. you see what I what I got tonight. So I like to I like to to mix not mix my fruits. Now I never do it. I always eat mono fruit in a meal. Yeah, yeah. And I like to have different fruits. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm getting that that um um ver- variety out of my my foods. So yeah. that's that's kind of how I do it. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh 
Let's see what was he gonna. So, so tell us a little bit about your your uh, uh, breath work uh, methods and you know kind of some of the realizations that you've had in the the science of breath arena because that's something that we talk about. We never really recommend any particular mode. We just say it's important science of breath, and we all sort of go in our, our separate ways where we find different the modalities that work for us, but. Uh, but yeah, tell us a little bit about your uh, uh, your your methods and what you're what you're into there. Sure, thank you. Well, it's funny you mentioned the science of breath because there's a book called The Science of Breath by Rami Swama, yeah. and he's the most famous yogi ever for breathing. He could take his heart rate up to 300 and down to one like that. Mm. And um, the thing he talks about that's most important is learning to master the subtlety of your breath before you do anything else. Even in pranayama, the first thing they teach in pranayama is breathe into your belly, your diaphragm, then fill your thorax, then fill your clavicular. But that's advanced breathing. Mm -hmm. The first thing you need to do is learn the subtlety, the effortless of breathing, which is like a baby. So I teach the subtlety of breathing. I teach it when you're sitting, when you're walking and when you're exercising. So obviously each movement you create is going to create a harder breath. So you start out at a low level, you cultivate your ability to breathe softly. And we do that through correcting everyday breathing mechanics. And there's two pillars of breathing. And then the second pillar of breathing is powerful, strong breath holds, which is creating a hypercapnic response that Bute Professor Buteco made famous, and all his research came off the physiological law called the Bohr Law. So in 1904, there was a Danish scientist named Christian Bohr, and he came up with this law of respiration, and it was named the oxygen hemoglobin disassociation curve. And what that means is inside your red blood cell, if this is my red blood cell, big circle, inside the red blood cell, Everybody knows that red blood cells carry oxygen. So we take for granted that if I breathe in, I'm getting oxygen into my lungs, which means I'm getting into my blood. And that's not necessarily true because you're already 96 to 99% saturated with oxygen, whether you breathe in a little or a lot. What's happening through the Bohr law is all about carbon dioxide. So technically, it's the carbon dioxide advantage. So he came up with this law. And by the way, his son, Niels Bohr, won the Nobel Prize in the 1920s. And dad should be just as famous. Like Arnold Erich should be famous. And Christian yeah. Bohr should be famous. Yeah. He originated this law of respiration. So I base all of my breathing techniques off a law. So it's not like I want to say I'm right, but... If we talk about concrete science, like Eric talked about with digestion, then I kind of, I what what I'm teaching really can't be refuted. Well, and even like what Eric said about about the breath, you know, vi vitality equals power minus destruction, yes. and the body is an is an air gas engine. Because if we weren't, if if we were a if we were a food gas engine, we couldn't go five, you know, an hour without food. We can't go an hour without breath. Uh, we can go days without food. So, right. yeah. So if I'm mastering the subtlety of my breath 
and I'm breathing less than six breaths a minute, then my air gas engine, ha there's no internal pressure. That means that, that my, uh, because I'm breathing in slower and, and less, it means that I'm producing copious amounts of nitric oxide. And nitric oxide's job is to release fascial tissue and fascial tissue is your lymphatic system. Your, your interstitium, your, your endothelial cells produce nitric oxide on their own. So when you have this air gas engine that's not mm. um, producing waste from digestion, you're going to have less internal pressure. So your body's going to be softer and more relaxed, which means you're downregulated in your nervous system. But it doesn't mean you're, you're unconscious. It means that if this is if this is relaxedness and this is alertness, I want to be in the middle, mm. right? I, there's a variation in life. Everything's variation, so I can be variated between relaxedness and alertness. If I'm too alert, then I'm going to crash. I'm going to mm -hmm. burn all my oxygen and I'm going to crash. My limbs and my my limbs are going to go numb because all the blood's going to be diverted to my diaphragm to keep me alive, and I'm going to hit the wall. And, you know, most people are breathing too hard. Not most, all people. I, with the 400 people I've trained in the last four years, I've only met one good breather. And mm -hmm. I've trained a lot of yogis, yogis yeah. for 20 years, who thought they were good breathers until I showed them. So there's a very specific test that the, ox, the, um, that the Bohr Law came up with, that Professor Buteco came up with, and it's called the Controlled pause. In Oxygen Advantage, we call it your BOLT score, your body oxygen level test. And it's we, this test is to see what your threshold to carbon dioxide is. And even if you're in really good shape, mm -hmm. most people have a very low threshold to carbon dioxide. And if you have a low threshold to carbon dioxide, then you're not getting oxygen to the prefrontal cortex because inside that red blood cell, oxygen needs a carrier. And that carrier is hemoglobin. So the oxygen hemoglobin disassociation curve. So if I'm over breathing, if I'm doing any kind of hyperventilation uh, technique, mm. and I'm not going to call out techniques, I'm just going to tell you the science. Mm. If I take one big breath right now, if I go and I fill my lungs, do you know that that creates hyperventilation? The respiratory center is located in the lower half of the brainstem. And it's been proven through papers by McGarrian that one big breath creates hyperventilation. So one big breath drops my carbon dioxide levels. Mm -hmm. And if there is no carbon dioxide present, then there's no signal to tell hemoglobin to let go of oxygen. So I'm my body, every tissue in my body produces CO2. It is not a waste gas. Mm. There's no such thing as CO2 being waste gas. It's six times more more important to a human than oxygen and a hundred times more prevalent. So if I learn to breathe, if I learn to master the subtlety of my breath, that means that as I exhale slowly, I don't, I don't lose CO2. I hold on to CO2. And then through the curve, through the Bohr law, if CO2 is high, then CO2 goes inside the red blood cell and it signals hemoglobin to disassociate from oxygen. Mm. And now that liberated oxygen is like a Navy SEAL, but on a rescue mission. So it's going through the circulation. Now it's soluble. 
It's free to go heal the body. Mm. It's looking for the cells that are deficient in oxygen, which is where the acidosis is. So as I increase my threshold to carbon dioxide, I'm always liberating oxygen from hemoglobin. And now my body can literally heal from the inside out. Mm. It's actually breath is the only way to heal from the inside out. Even digestion is going at the layers. It's taking the top layers off where the breathing, the oxygen is getting into the the depths of the layers that are are toxified. So you know this, right? And that's well, because that's the fasting. Well, that's why Eric, you know, that says the, the omnipotent method of healing for the human body is is fasting but that's the the fasting essentially is gets the food out of the way so the body can heal itself and what you described is would be another way to describe that phenomenon because if you need get the get the food out of the way and i guess like you said if there there's some people that 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 will heal for a, for a certain period of time on just improve just improving the breath just with that right. principle of of re of vitalizing uh internally with the oxygen but when you combine that with the you know for people that don't even know know that but they stop eating and unconsciously they don't even realize okay now my breath is actually able to work on my body you know unkind you know just they don't know that that's what's going on but yeah it's giving the body an opportunity to do like what you're talking about we're just a total revitalization from the inside out yeah and yeah yeah so that that's the method that i teach so i have a i run a 30-day program it's automated and people get a video every day Mm. and they get to keep them for life so it's a one one time fee i have a private telegram group so i i have this heart-centered community of what we call pro breathers hashtag pro breathers and then once you're in the community, then I, we're 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 in it together for life. So people can ask me questions for life. And then I have a weekly Zoom call that I do with all my former students. That's mm. also part of the program, and that's for life. So it's one time fee to get in, and then after that, it's we're all sharing our experiences, you know, and so forth. So I can cre- I want to create, um, you know. If people can slow down their breathing, then their energy levels go up, their vibration raises, and it's about paying it forward. So if you feel good throughout the day, even if the cashier at Dwayne Reed is insensitive to you, you're not going to lash out. And when you don't lash out at the person who's insensitive to you, you leave them in a better state of being. And then they're less apt to lash out at the next person. Right. So that's what I'm trying to help people do. And when you slow down your breathing, your whole life changes. So, again, I'm slowing down my breathing and I teach Olympic athletes. Right. And I'm and I'm a high athlete, too. So it's even when I'm exercising, it's about breathing as gently as I can. Because even if I'm exercising, I don't need to hard breathe. I can still, I'll breathe more, of course. There'll be more air coming in because I'm working harder, but I'll still be breathing less hard than I've ever breathed before. And then you can train harder. 
you can train longer, you can train faster. And that's why I say there's no such thing as, as overtraining, but there is such a thing as under recovery. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it's about yeah. the waste, right? It's always about yeah. getting rid of the waste. and exercise rid of that waste. waste. Yep. So yeah. breathing can remove that lactic acid. I want to work out every day. I don't want to kill myself every day because I don't have that constipation, that mentality, right? I don't need to kill it. I just want to work out and feel good about myself. And then the next day, I'm not sore. I can do it again, right? And it's good for my body. I'm a true mesomorph, so I kind of have to. Right. I'll take maybe a Saturday or a Sunday off, but I need to move. It makes me feel mm. good. Yeah. What's your. Yeah. So how, how often is it every day? Sort of how long is your workouts and what kind of intensity uh, is, is your daily workout? Well, I, I start my day off with breathing. So I and I always work out fasted. I, I will not work out. Mm. I will not eat before I work out. So. I'm usually working out around my 12th or 13th hour of not eating from the night before. And uh, I, I do my breath work first, which takes 20 minutes. So now I'm, at a, I'm kind of at a high level. So I don't need to do a lot of the warm-up exercises. So for me, what it'll look like is I'll go to the South Street Seaport in Lower Manhattan, and there's this really cool uh, incline that goes up, and it's 80 meters. So I can stand at the, fin- at the beginning line. And I could take a normal breath in and a normal breath out, very calm, very gentle, barely any exhale. I exhale and I sprint Hmm. all out up the 80 meters. So as I'm sprinting, my lactic acid levels are going up. This is following an exhale. This is the hypercapnic response of the body, which is the bore effect. So as carbon dioxide levels are going up while I'm running, oxygen levels are going down because oxygen is being liberated from the red blood cell because carbon dioxide signaling it. So while I'm running, not breathing, my body goes, I know what to do, how to keep you alive. So as the lactic acid is increasing in my blood, carbon dioxide disassociates into carbonic acid, which further acidifies the blood. Oxygen is releasing hydrogen ions, so CO2. It's further acidifying the blood. So people are like, why would you want to do that? Because it's in nature, it's natural. All my ancestors dived for food. And they were able to stay underwater for long periods of time because of this effect. Right? The the body knows how to keep itself alive. So if I have a cup, so now I'm running, I'm getting to 80 meters, my lactic acid's going up. But this part right here. When the lactic acid starts to get to the top, as carbon dioxide disassociates into carbonic acid, carbon carbonic acid disassociates into sodium bicarbonate, mm. which is baking soda. Mm-hmm. So my body feeds off of its own waste as an emergency system to stop me from dying. Mm. And when it does that, each time I do that, I create a higher baseline. I increase my anaerobic threshold and it's safer and more effective because I'm not breathing. Because if I was to breathe doing a high intensity exercise, if I was breathing too hard, carbon dioxide is going to go down because I'm heavily breathing through the Mm. mouth. And when CO2 goes down, there's no liberating of oxygen. So now I run all the way 80 meters sprinting and then down the embankment, I jog back. So I'm running 160 meters without breathing. Mm. 
and I do it five times. And this is important because after five breath holds, my spleen, my spleen starts to contract and it'll contract for three hours and your spleen is your blood bank. So it, it, it's going to sense that my circulation needs more hematocrit. It's my, it's, you know, it regulates your hematocrit level, which is the amount of hemoglobin proteins you have in your body. And because oxygen has an affinity for hemoglobin, because hemoglobin has a heavy iron atom, and you know this, in the Western world, they're like, oh, you have to eat meat because you need iron, right? So I don't do that. I get my iron from raisins, from blueberries, and that iron goes to my hemoglobin. So while my spleen is contracting and it's pushing the oxygen-carrying hemoglobin out into the system, it's keeping me alive. And when I'm done, this goes on for three hours. So my spleen is able to get very big and then very small because it knows what to do. And at the same exact time, and here comes, here comes something I'm going to blow you away with. Through the hypercapnic training effect, my kidneys are synthesizing erythropoietin which is what all the cyclists took in, in, in the Tour de France. Hmm. So my body is blood doping on its own. On so its, when you're it, high on your own supply. That's right. Yeah. When it synthesizes EPO, EPO is prevents red blood cell destruction and it stimulates the bone marrow to make new red blood cells. That's profound. My body's healing itself. It's making new red blood cells, which means every seven years now, right? The healing diet, right? I have five and a half to five, five and a half to go, no, four and a half to go to get to seven years of remapping, remaking all of my cells in my body. So I have four and a half years to go of this, which yeah. is why I'm an expert, right? Talk to me in four and a half more years. Mm, I'm mm. going to be on it. Right. So every time my kidneys secrete EPO, it takes four days for the EPO to be utilized in the body. But I do it every day. So every single day I'm blood doping. And that's why I've been able to heal my kidneys on a much faster level. So mm. they went from sub basement level eight to now strengthening my primordial chi energy. That's amazing. And I don't mean about me, about the body. Yeah. Right. I'm yeah. all. I'm in awe of the body, the way God designed us, right? So this is what I teach people. And it's it's life-changing. It's absolutely life-transforming. And now people want to know yeah. how I eat. They're like, why do you, I mean, I'm 52, right? I don't have any wrinkles. I don't mm. have any circles under my eyes, right? I have no wrinkles, no crow's feet. When I yeah. smile, maybe a little, but at 52, people that haven't seen me in, in a few years, they're like, oh my God. I get that. <laughs> People go, yeah. oh, my God. And I'm like, what? They're like, you you look younger. How, how did you do that? I call it youthing. Mm. So where you think, because if you remove the obstructions, V equals P minus O, if you remove the obstructions, then all the stem cells that you were born with have nothing in their way. And then they yeah. walk over to their, their other cell and they're like, hey, this is how you should be acting. I'm going to signal you to do your job the way you were intended because there's no obstructions in the way. Yeah. Well, yeah. I can only get younger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, 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 that's what's up. That's where the, like we said, the marriage of mucus's diet with the science of breath. It's like, that's the, 
that that's the uh, that's it right there. And, yeah. uh, now what? So what are some of the? Well, so one question that that yeah, this is somewhat asking. This is you probably get this a lot. So so give give us your your thoughts on on in comparison with the Wim Hof and sort of how that what he's doing or how that relates. And then me, you know, I kind of my history and when I got into breath work was uh, the Parahansa Yogananda Kriya Kriya Yoga. Yeah, I went some time in in that All discipline. Right. So uh, so I guess just sort of give us uh, the the comparison and your thoughts on some of the the uh, the sure. related or the the competing modalities. Right. Well, let let's let's kind of talk about even when we say getting high on your own supply. I'm not really sure that's what's happening because right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I don't, I don't want to be high. Right. I want my baseline breath to be so high. My threshold of carbon dioxide to be so high that I live in the present moment. Mm -hmm. So that I am meditating all day long. Mm -hmm. Right. That's really what meditation is. If we want to talk about enlightenment, then you are in a constant state of self-actualization. Mm -hmm. Yep. Right. So Wim Hof, I started with that five years ago, but I also, Christina, didn't feel so good. I was superhuman. I went out into the cold, 17 degrees wind chill. It was the coldest January five years ago in New York City history. And my son and I were out there in shorts and no shirt meditating in the snow. But my hands were almost frostbitten because I was hyperventilating, which creates an affinity between hemoglobin and oxygen. So the reason you can go into the cold is because you're activating your sympathetic response by stopping the mechanism of breath. So yes, it works for things like that, but is it good for you long-term? Mm. Absolutely not. And, and the science is tantamount that it isn't because mm. hyperventilation stops oxygen from getting to the cell. And if you remove carbon dioxide, think about this. When someone's on their last breath in a movie, you see an old person, what do they do? What are they blowing out? CO2. Yeah. There's no more CO2 left. You can't get oxygen into the cell. And then if, if you are CPR certified and someone has a heart attack in front of you and you administer CPR, what do you blow into their mouth? <laughs> CO2. Yeah. So if you're hyperventilating, what are you removing? CO2. Mm. That's plain and simple for me. Yeah. 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 That's, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I always, you know, I, over the years I'd looked at, at the whims method and there were cer certain things that I was like, okay, that's cool. And other things I'm like, I don't know if I'm on board for the, the, uh, cause like the, a lot of the cold principles kind of go definitely go against <laughs> mucus's diet. Con consciousness as far as we don't want to extremes yeah yeah the extremes and era talks about extreme but right. you know forcing vibration like extreme vibration and doing that and that can be you know that can be breathing that can be just some of those old workout because he wrote that back in the day and you know they used to have some of the that those really weird like torture machine type of right. things in the gymnasiums back in and uh and so, but he may talked about that where you, to, if you over vibrate, then you're going to lose the elasticity in the skin and in just throughout your body. And then and in the lungs, it's hyperventilating. 
you're going to lose mm. the elasticity in the lungs from hyperventilating. Mm. And that's what people don't realize. Yeah. Right. So you don't want to get high on your own supply. I mean, yeah, if you hyperventilate, if you do two more breathing, it'll change your state of consciousness for a moment. It's mm. like doing ayahuasca. It's like doing bufo, toad, 5-MeO-DMT. Yeah, you can experience it in a moment, but shouldn't you be experiencing that every day of your life? So in my method, what we do is we increase our threshold of carbon dioxide. And as your, your threshold of carbon dioxide goes up, you start having these, this presence about you where you do feel high because you're getting copious amounts of oxygen to your frontal lobe, which is your executive center and your pleasure center. So instead of over-breathing, if you breathe, I mean, Yogananda's guru was famous for breathing one breath a minute, yeah. right? Yeah, and, I was going to ask about something about that, yeah. yeah. Well, he came up with Kriya breathing, but brother, he was already mastering the breath. Yeah. So they were able to go into higher modalities because they had already mastered the subtlety of the breath. So when they did do a hyperventilation technique, mm -hmm. it didn't hurt them because they were going to come back to the subtle breath. And they were going to be able to, to recover their carbon dioxide levels. But we don't teach that. We leave right. that step out mm. in Western teachings. We're leaving that step out. It's like the game of telephone. Yeah, yeah. The missing, the, as, as Eric says about diet, the, the missing link of the human mind. You know, that's like the, the missing link of the, uh, of the breath work. And yes. And uh, tradition, yeah. So that's that's interesting because yeah, I always thought about that, and and in, in different times, I mean, I practiced when I practiced that method, and because because I'm a, a musician that plays a wind instrument, uh, I'm able to you know I've had to learn it. I know there's things I do that's probably against that's a lot of rules, a lot of different breathing, but you still have to be able to essentially take. I mean, you 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 are training yourself to have do a breath a minute, you know, because you're you. It's a long exhale as you're playing your instrument, and uh, you know, so me one or two breaths a minute's not uncommon, depending on right. what what it is you're doing, or especially when you're working on the long tones, and that's like you playing one note about per thirty seconds, sure. and. Uh, and so I noticed that some of the things that I had learned in different breath studies that I was doing some of those things just regularly already. And then even getting into the studies of using sound and vibration as a meditative mm -hmm. you know, way to get. And I was like, I was already doing that just at being a musician and didn't really, I was never taught that as a, but that was part of the experience and sort of part of what you get into, you know, when you get in, when you go down the road as a, a musical artist. Yeah. But, but yeah, I remember probably, yeah, probably reading that and, and experimenting with that to see, okay, if I do one, one breath, a, a minute, you know, and then when you get into, cause I noticed there's a, a similarity I don't know the technical terms for the breath, but in the, the Kriya, there's the one where after doing some general breathing, you get get all the air or all the just get everything out of your lungs. Not the, what the just it's like the with the like 
and then hold that for a period of time and then breathe in kind of kind of gently back in uh there's kind of a there was something in one of whims thing reminds me of that where that's sort of like the the, the recharging period so after the the the, the breath the sort of the quick inhale exhale then when you breathe out and hold it for the sake it's kind of like that reminded me of some of the, the great right. things but uh, what how is that the, that technique or that principle of of holding the breath out you breathe yeah. as, as you described as you're yeah. as you're running like how you know what uh how, how is that or how would you describe that that yeah method? well that Korea that, that you just mentioned would be the the way that i would like to to do it <laughs> like i would try that that makes more sense to me because you're exhaling, you know, you could, I don't exhale everything, but uh, just because when you exhale everything, there's pressure. So I'm always trying to keep my body at low pressure. So as I exhale normally and I hold my breath, I'm feeling my interoceptive feelings of my organs, my visceral sense, which is your eighth sense. So without creating pressure on the exhale, I can hold my breath a little bit longer and then I can sense where the breath needs to go, where the where the stress and the tension is in the body. Because as it comes on, as the need to breathe comes on, you identify inside your own body where you lack oxygen. It's kind of weird because mm -hmm. you'll be sitting there, gentle exhale, you'll watch the clock, and all of a sudden you'll start to feel a part of your body. And that means that's where you're deficient in oxygen because like, like the food does – it calls attention to the places that need it the most. Mm. So you'll start to come up with that. But if you forcefully exhale all the air out, for most people, they're already going to feel pressure. And then they're going to have a trouble holding their breath for longer. But again, not if you're experienced. You know, That would be a, a definitely a better way, what you described, that I would want to do. Mm -hmm. um, and the other thing is, with our breath method, when you take in air slower, mm -hmm. right? You again, you produce nitric oxide in your nose. Well, one of nitric oxide's job is my lungs are shaped like a triangle. And because I'm an anterior creature, unless I'm sleeping, the blood is going to pool at the bottom of my lung. So now all the blood's down here, but the highest concentration of alveoli are at the top. That's why people say, fill your lungs. Mm. Except if I fill my lungs, I don't pick up this gas nitric oxide, which doesn't get the blood to the upper part. So when I, and the masters knew this, they didn't know it scientifically, but they knew when they breathed out as slowly as possible that they could elevate because the nitric oxide takes the blood to the upper lobes of the lungs. You need blood to be in the alveoli sacs to capture the oxygen molecule push it into the capillary and into a red blood cell. Now, that's called alveolar ventilation. And if I breathe in too much air, I take in too much air, I actually create more dead space between the nose and the diaphragm. And if there's more dead space, dead space means that there's um, an amount of oxygen that doesn't get diffused into the blood. So when, and there's a formula for it, but I can't say it because you won't be able to picture it. I'd have to write it out. So again, there's scientific proof of this. So when I breathe in slower 
lower and deeper, I actually increase the volume of air in my lungs because my lungs will expand slowly because of nitric oxide. Because nitric oxide tells the endothelial tissue to relax. Whereas everybody says you have to fill the lungs. We don't do that. Mm. Because of nitric oxide, nitric oxide will tell the lungs to stretch more but slower. And there's this molecule called surfactant that nitric oxide produces. Whereas COVID attacked the molecule surfactant which stopped the lungs from expanding, which is why the lungs would fill up a edema. And then when they put a ventilator on people, they would kill them. So again, it's all about the subtlety of breath. So as the blood gets to the upper part of the lungs, you get more, you get less dead space, which means you have a higher minute ventilation, which means you increase your oxygen carrying capacity. And again, this is all scientifically right there in the textbooks, but it's been swept under the rug because right. they don't want people to know this. They don't want people yeah. to know they can heal themselves. They don't want people to know that if you put that mask on, it's going to limit you from getting oxygen into your body. And it's sorry, did I, should I not go there? Oh, no, no. I'm laughing because I'm agreeing. No, go, go there. I'm... So if you put that face diaper on, you're going to limit the amount of oxygen that comes in your body and it's going to increase your breathing rate, which is hyperventilation, which is stress, right? Mm -hmm. Wim knows that you're activating the stress response. So why would I want to breathe like that all the time? So that's what the mask does. It's not so bad to breathe in your own CO2, but it is bad because you're going to breathe faster, which means you're going to get less oxygen into your body and if you heat up the mask, bacteria is going to collect on the mask and it's oh, going yeah. to get on the skin. And I know nurses who have had staph infections. Wow. So, so it's, it's a diabolical program mm-hmm. to make you breathe faster so you are in fight or flight all day. Because they know the law. <laughs> right. They know the law of respiration. And it makes sense. If you put the mask on, you're going to have to breathe harder which means you're going to have more tension in your body. There's going to be more internal pressure. Yeah. Yeah. That's, (laughs) I mean, really, I mean, you think of the depth of that, of of all mandates in history, the face mask, (laughs) we're, we're going to, we're going to impede your breath. You know, just that how it's like, how else can we mess your health up? We already got you high on way. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like let's go right to the source because they already mastered the, you know, the the, the chicken nugget type of thing and the fast yeah. food and the corn, you know, subs- subsidies on corn for corn syrup and the, that whole mess. And so yeah, now let's yeah, let's just just put a put the face diaper on and right. See and how that, you know, how that I like goes. to say, I like to say, if I wear a if I wear cotton underwear, does that stop my farts from smelling? Right. Yeah. It's, 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 it's ridiculous. Yeah. That, that face mask thing is totally, totally ridiculous. And I yeah. uh, see, it was a question from Erica. I said, if you're an, uh, an advocate of sauna breath work, what technique do you suggest? Uh, oh, there was a previous question. Uh, what's your thoughts on doing breath work as part of a sauna session? 
Well, I would, uh, in order to regulate my body temperature, I would, I would breathe as gently as I could in the sauna. Mm. So I breathe less air. Again, I want to, I want to stop myself from taking in too much internal pressure because I'm already heated up. So I, I'm actually going to try to cool down my internal organs. I'm going to let the sauna heat me up, right? Because it's only really going to get the interstitial parts, the more of the superficial parts. Very hard to get deep layers. It's very, very hard to get deep layers from outside sources. And the sauna, it really isn't. I mean, if if it heated you up from the inside out, you'd have a fever. But you're still 98.6 degrees even when you're in the sauna. Otherwise, you would have a fever. So my breath work in the sauna would be to minimize the amount of air that I breathe in little by little. We call it breathing light to breathe right. So I would just very gently try to normalize my breathing while I was in the sauna. Because everybody knows if you take in a big breath, it burns the hell out of your sinuses. So you don't, you don't want to do that. You don't want to take in too much air because you don't want to remove carbon dioxide. So while I'm in the sauna trying to detoxify, I want to practice breathing light so I can keep carbon dioxide levels high so it can continue to, to liberate oxygen. And then that oxygen will get into those layers that are being heated up and it'll help to remove the waste even faster. All right. Yeah. The, the sauna, <laughs> the sauna, the sauna piece. Yes. Thank you for that. Let's see this one. The, uh, for some reason, sometimes because of, I don't know, privacy things or something, the name doesn't come through. So this is Facebook user. Do you uh, think practicing a sport such as free diving is a measured way that could be beneficial stop due to the de decreasing oxygen since I had a previous brain lesion? Right. Wow. That's, that's a great question. Uh, this, whoever the user is, if you look at my Instagram account, breathing with Brian with a Y, and you look at my interviews, I interviewed Umberto Pelizzari, who's the most legendary freediver ever. Mm. And I put him through one of my breathing techniques and he didn't know it. And he loved it. So he's always looking, you know, how can I hold my breath as long as I can? So, breath holding on land, the way I do it, it can increase your ability to, 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 to go deeper. Right. But nothing is like the water because the water is going to it. As soon as you go below 15 feet, your lungs are already shrinking by 50 percent. So the idea with the breathing that I teach is to be how can I get high carbon dioxide levels before I practice my breathing, before I go in the water? So maybe an hour before I go in the water, I would practice five strong breath holds to increase my carbon dioxide levels. And then when you're getting ready to go in the water, you absolutely do water trained breathing techniques to go in the water. So it wouldn't change. It wouldn't change the divers techniques before the water, but we would do it an hour before you'd practice my techniques an hour before. And then the diving techniques, you stick with those to dive. All right. Yeah. So if uh, there's any other final questions that anybody has on here, feel free to share as we'll start moving toward the wrap up. But uh, yeah, man, this is uh, well for everybody. If you're interested in plugging in with Brian down below, there's a couple of his, his links. We got his uh, Instagram links. So definitely follow him there. 
as well as his website. And I know he's got a, a bunch of material, a bunch of stuff to check out. Definitely, uh, uh, definitely do that. And uh, let's see, we got another, we got uh, Kai. So what's your view on shallow breaths? I've heard of an expression among breathwork teachers, shallow breath, shallow life. Right. Well, a shallow breath is a chest breath. It's up here. It's rapid, usually hard and shallow. So the idea, again, is everything we do is about breathing as tranquilly and gently as you can. And when you do, you'll activate your diaphragm. But my acupuncturist said that most people have twisted diaphragms, which mm -hmm. is why they're shallow breathing, which is why I would cre create a shallow life, because just like your heart, the more breaths you take, the faster you're going to go to the grave. And they tell us that normal breaths per day is 25 to 27,000. Again, professor, mm. that's, that's insane. If I'm breathing six breaths a minute, then I'm only going to take about 9,000 breaths a day. So you're mm -hmm. telling me if I put, if I put only 95% gas in my car and I could save money on gas, my car is going to run very well. <laughs> Come right. on. Right. <laughs> Great question, yeah. Kyle. Great question. So again, yeah. it would be about not making it shallow, making it deep. Now, again, deep doesn't mean belly breathing. You hear a lot of belly breathing. Well, my diaphragm is like shaped like a bell, right? And really the diaphragm is less muscle. It's almost all fascia. And the diaphragm is intimately connected to the heart. It's attached to the heart. Every time you exhale, your diaphragm moves up and it cradles your heart like a hug. It's in amazing. And if you're breathing low, slow, and deep, when you breathe out slowly, your baroreceptors at the top of your aorta and your carotid artery, they send messages down to the midbrain. And in 2017, Stanford came out with a study and they proved that there's a part of the brain called the locus corellus that spies on your breathing. So every time you breathe gentle and deeply diaphragmatically, when the diaphragm opens, it opens like a canister. So it goes front to back, up and down, side to side. So that's not a belly breath. When the canister opens, it's a 360 degree breath. So when you breathe gently, the baroreceptors sense less pressure. They send information to the midbrain and the midbrain, the locus corellus says, well, we're sensing that there's less pressure in the system. So it sends feelings of safety to the brain. And the brain really only knows three things. I love you. Namaste. I see the God in you. I'm calm and I'm safe because if I'm not safe, I'm in fight or flight. And what is fight or flight to get out of danger? Not to stay there unless you have to fight. <laughs> Otherwise, it's to get out of danger. So that's why the brain is going to, when you're breathing gently, it's going to send feelings of safety to the brain. Mm -hmm. Then I'm going to be parasympathetic. And if I need to be sympathetic, like fight or flight, I can. I can get into it and out of it. And it's not going to put a, a, a depression on my nervous system. But if I'm breathing heavily, if I'm breathing shallow all day, then I'm upregulated and I have all this internal pressure and I'm in fight or flight and I'm not going to feel good. It's just very, you know, that my air engine is really all it's about. So if my air engine is working hard, working overtime, 
It's not going to be a good thing. Yeah. And uh, Mariah asked, go, would we naturally breathe properly and beneficially if we were not so encumbered and full of mucus? Not exactly. Because once your breathing mechanism is off, because your respiratory center is in the lower half of your brainstem, your primal brain, your medulla oblongata. And once now, yes, it would, your breathing would start to come back to a little bit of normalcy, but you would have to practice particular breathing exercises to retrain the habit of breathing too much. So let's say you're breathing 35,000 breaths a day when you're floated with mucus, as you get rid of mucus, your breathing rate might slow down and you might only be breathing 18,000 breaths a day, which is only double as much, which is good, but it's still not super efficient. So you would have to practice particular breathing exercises to get it all the way down. Mm. Because otherwise, the respiratory, the respiratory center needs to learn. The, digest, the enteric system needs that information and the respiratory system needs that information. It needs that signal, that right signal. And that right signal is to breathe less. And again, it, it's got to be controlled breathing. So you'd have, I mean, the masters knew that, right? That's the first limb of yoga, controlled breathing. So they knew you had to control your breathing in order to regulate your, your, um, your primal brain. Mm. Yeah, it's, and uh, Brother Air often talks about, well, he makes the comparison with like uh, an animal, like a dog. Because a dog, you they say dog years, your know, dogs have a whole different lifespan system than we do. Look at how they breathe. Yes. <laughs> you know, yes. It's like they're seven running out of those breaths, breaths real second. quick. Yeah. Right. Seven breaths a second. So they're constantly searching, they're constantly seeking. So what are we doing if we're breathing twenty-five thousand breaths a day that they tell us is normal? Or if we have a face diaper on. <laughs> crazy and it's uh and, and yeah and, and and he and i know brother air does he see he had studied the 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 science of breath the ramanyaka book and but i know he kind of just over the years has developed his own kind of thing but it, but that's an important but kind of some of the things you describe is things that he's described in terms of just the way that he'll go and sit outside in the fresh air for a couple hours and just focus on his breath and it's sort of this you know this idea of the i like that what you're saying the subtlety uh of the breath and and where it's yeah it's not about like some of these real like you know this hardcore half of breathing or whatever kind of kind of stuff but actually uh you know tr transforming the the inner world you know through a gentle it's like this the, the gentle uh, approach right and uh well you know there's a time for hatha breathing right if i wanted to heat myself up i could use that breath mm -hmm. what is my baseline breath beforehand mm. and most of us have low baseline breath so if we do that breath we're only going to make our baseline breath lower and that's why we have oxidative stress along with our mucus so mm. no no carbon dioxide means no liberated oxygen which means oxidative stress Mm. Yeah, Christina says, mind blowing. Thank you, Professor Spira and Brian. Thank you, Christina. Thank you. And uh, yeah, so what? So, how many breaths a day 
would you, are you at? Like, if you were to calculate, like, what, what do you think you're, you're at? Well, I, I'm, I'm taught, I've taught myself to breathe no more than six breaths a minute. Okay. So four seconds in six seconds out or four seconds in five seconds out with a natural pause or two. Mm-hmm. If you can breathe less, that's even better. So that would be about 9,000 breaths a day. Okay. And that would be very efficient because science tells us that if I only breathe six breaths a minute, then I increase my heart rate variability, which is intimately connected to longevity. And then when my heart rate variability goes up, vagal tone goes up because every time I exhale slowly, I massage my vagus nerve. So when my heart rate variability goes up, my vagal tone goes up. And at the same time, it reciprocates pain and inflammation to go down. I've worked with a lot of people who have joint pain and I get them breathing slowly. And within two weeks, their pain levels are like half Mm -hmm. because nitric oxide relaxes fascial tissue and the pain is the body's response to get me out of here, so mm-hmm. I'm gonna tense up. And then there's also, as my breathing rate slows, I increase respiratory sinus arrhythmia, which is the synchronicity between my breathing rate and my heart rate. I mean, it's, it's just such a beautiful, beautiful symphony that God gave us. It's just absolutely amazing right? And it's all breath. You, there is no you. There's only your breath. Mm. Your breath is the most important. I mean, look, technically we could be breatharians, right? <laughs> I've seen some videos of people in India who haven't eaten in 60 years. Yep. living on prana. People are like, no, that's no way. I'm like, well, yeah, we're light beings. We're the low, we're, this is the fifth epoch of man. You know, we're at the end of the, we're, we, we're at the end of the Kali Yuga cycle. We're coming out now. We're only going, we went from the Iron Age to the Bronze Age. We're not even close to Ascension. <laughs> <laughs> right. We're, like I said, we're, we're the custodians. We're cleaning up the mess. That's right. <laughs> it's not party time. The party is over. We, it's closing time. You know, <laughs> we got work to do. That's and, right. Uh, right. We, we're the forebearers, but that's good. I want to be that. Yeah. 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 Well, I like that. Yeah. All right. So I think we're going to close this, uh, this one down here, man. It's really great having you on the show. So uh, tell, uh, give everybody your, your information, how they can get a hold of you and where to find you and follow you. Yeah. I'm very accessible. You know, uh, it's breathing with Brian with a Y on Instagram. And then my website is quantumfitness.org. So I've had this business now for four years. So quantum is energy, right? So breath work increases oxygen carrying capacity and oxygen carries a positive electron. So that's quantum energy, right? I'm tapping into the source, into the ether. So it's quantumfitness.org. And everything you need to contact me is on that site. My breathing program is on that site. You could message me on Instagram. I'm very accessible. You know, I'm very... I'm not against technology, but I really, I really taught myself to only use it when I'm trying to help people. Other than that, I don't spend my time on, on technology. I'm, I'm breathing slow and, and I don't, I always, I get to this point where I'm like, wow. I mean, like I could just sit on my sofa, like brother air sometimes, and I could just sit there. I don't need anything. I could just sit in peace, but that was never me. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I was 
you know, I was getting drunk every night. I didn't even tell you guys this, but from 29 to 37, when I got divorced and my wife took all my money and my child away mm. from me, I went down the rabbit hole and for, I'd never done drugs till I was 29. So mm. I got heavily into, I wasn't a drug addict. No, maybe I was. I did a lot of drugs. I did things that I would never do. So for eight years, I went down the rabbit hole. Mm. And again, what did I do? I toxified my body. So I'm really coming out of the depths, right? The depths of that's why my kidneys were destroyed. And, and here I am living to tell about it. And uh, I only try to share my story. If, if it resonates with somebody, then great. But mm -hmm. I'm not trying to sell anything either. If it resonates with you, great. But otherwise, I just want to share. I just want to share information. Yeah, that's beautiful. So uh, so the final, final question as we wrap up, what's uh, what, what would you say has been your greatest achievements with, with the mucus's diet? Um, hearing my acupuncturist be dumbfounded that he's never seen anything like it before. That's the testament yeah. to this lifestyle. That is it. Because I went to a doctor. He's also, he was a gastroenterologist. So he was an MD and an acupuncturist. And when he said, what you have done is nothing short of remarkable. And those were his words. Mm. He said, I've never seen anything like it. So that's it, man. Hallelujah. <laughs> and it was because I went mucus free. And he told me not to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is, yeah, tends to, tends to be the, uh, <laughs> yeah, how, what they say. It was like, oh, yeah, don't, don't do that. And I mean, yeah. <laughs> right. But I, I showed him the light, you know, and now he's, he loves when I come in because he sees me progressing. Every time I go, I'm still progressing. So that's another thing. You know, I still have, well, you know, we, we have issues, right? I'm sure even you know that maybe 20 years into this, there's still got to be parts of your body, layers that you're going to still be healing for the rest of your mm -hmm. life, right? So there's there's going to be more that I get to share that he's going to get to see about how this lifestyle really improves our overall health. And I'm I'm a firm believer. And I, I don't, I don't want to go back to cooked food. If I'm forced sometimes to be in a situation, I don't really enjoy it. You know, I'm like, I don't judge myself for it, but I'm like, oh, I know this. I'm not going to feel very good after I eat this. But, you know, I maybe have cooked food like once every four months now. So Thanksgiving, the last time I had cooked food mm -hmm. was on my wife's birthday, August 8th. Mm -hmm. And the next time I'm going to have cooked food is Thanksgiving because we don't eat. I mean, I don't eat meat, but we do dim sum. So I'm going to do dim sum. And I know, I already know, I planned it. That will be the next time I eat it. And, I, and I'm and i good with, like, I want to be honest with people. Well, I never have cooked food again. I can't say that because mm. I don't know, right? And if it happens, I'm not a bad person. It doesn't make me not a fruitarian. <laughs> I'm a human being. Right. Now, you do know? you make the distinction between that, that not all cooked food is equal? Because sometimes I have, to, I have that conversation with some folks, like not all you know, because there's a big difference between a like, cooked greens and cooked hot dog. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah, that I would never do. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the lowest I would go is to put a little gluten in my body from a dim sum and a cooked vegetable. That's mm. that's as low as I'll go. At this point in my life, that's as low as I'll go. And, and I haven't in three years so or two and a half years. So... 
Beautiful, well, man. I appreciate you. I appreciate being you on the too. show, man. I'm glad it all hooked in. You know, the universe yeah. was doing its Thank thing. <laughs> was able to able to plug it in. So everybody, yeah, check out Brian's page. Follow him on, on Instagram. Uh, Breathing with Brian. Check out his website. Yeah. And uh, yeah, man, a lot, a lot of great stuff because that's that's uh, you know all, that's what we always talk about. We like seeing people bring something like bring things to the table bring something to the table you know go out and because that's kind of what we all did where okay here's a mucus's diet book now go <laughs> you like go put push push it go figure some things out do some stuff and uh yeah in the area of science of breath we all we've always known how important that is but uh you've went and really developed developed some things and and bringing it back to the community, like check this out, you know, this is yeah. let's, let's bring let's put this in there, and so uh, yeah, so I'm yeah, I'm real I'm real interested to, yeah. to to dive into a little bit of that and and check check out, you know, add add that to my 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 repertoire of the uh, the the breath work processes. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you. Uh, you're one of my heroes. Uh, I, I, you, your book changed my life, and uh, I'm just so honored that you had me on. And thank you very much. And thank you to everybody out there for all your wonderful questions. And I know that you also have this heart-centered community. So there's people out there who are just nothing but you know wanting help. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I know you know what. Even when I get some haters on Instagram, I don't ever get angry. I talk to people in very right. nice ways. Even if they're like, oh, like I think on on one of your posts or my post, mm -hmm. somebody said something about oh, mucus-free steroids, <laughs> and I laughed. Yeah. I think they read that under the post, yeah. and I yeah. was like, I've been people have thought I look I look like that my whole life, and I'm like, okay, it's all right. You can have your thought. You don't know me. <laughs> it's right. okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. The, in it's like this era. The internet troll era where you know people can hide behind the computer and say stuff that they never say in face to face right you know, and uh, but yeah there's definitely that level of you know i relate it and that was we could have talked a whole another segment on behavior i was gonna add that came up when you were talking about the connection as you change your diet how your behavior change, you know, that any outburst of anger and that kind of stuff, you just become more calm, more clarity of thought. I mean, that's part of the transformation. That's and right. that's a hard one to get people to, and it makes sense that it would be hard for pe the people that are really stimulated on all the meat and the dairy and that kind of stuff for them to understand the experience of not being so, hopped up on that stuff and for your behavior to totally transform. Right. And, yeah. Uh, so Thank yeah. you, brother. Yeah, man. So, all right. So I appreciate you and uh, everybody give, uh, yeah, give Brian a, give, give him a hand in the, <laughs> in the comment section there. Thank you. Thank you. And so, uh, so all right. So I do want to tell you guys, I got one announcement. So tomorrow I'm doing my uh, final, or not my final, but I'm, I'm doing a replay of the webinar that I did on Tuesday. It's going to be at 1 p.m. Saturday, tomorrow. So I'm going to put a link 
if you're interested in registering and attending, this is the uh, burn fat and create godlike immunity eating mucus free in the COVID era webinar. And I'm going all in. I talk about things that I'm not allowed to talk about here on YouTube and Facebook. You know, we, we go all in and really get into some stuff related to this, this COVID era nonsense. And so uh, definitely invite you to uh, click that link and register and, uh, and hope to see you tomorrow there. And another reason we did that was because we, I'd gotten a lot of messages from folks that live in Europe that were saying, ah, that's too late because we did it on Tuesday at eight o'clock. And they're like, ah, it's like 2 a.m. where I'm at. So it's like, okay, it's at 1 p.m. here. So that's going to be like nine o'clock or something for you guys or eight o'clock. And so uh, you should uh, be able to make it there if you are available. And as I said earlier, we have a new sponsor for the podcast, Nord VPN. And if you don't have a VPN yet, I definitely recommend getting one. And I use, personally have used Nord VPN for almost 10 years and I've found it to be uh, really great. And they're actually always improving the interface and up making upgrades and updates. Uh, and so there's a, there's a lot that they offer there that other ones don't because I, I have I do have I have another one that I don't really use a lot because uh, I just nor just works. Like I have it on my cell phone, on my all my computers. And uh, if you don't want people looking and having a record of every little thing that you do on the Internet, then it's very important to have a VPN. And uh, and when you. Uh, order through our link, then you are supporting the show. And of course, if you haven't signed up yet for our uh, newsletter and the Mucus Free Life Insiders Club, then uh, you definitely want to do that. You get the download of five free mucus free recipes, some of my favorite top 10 mucus free foods, as well as an introduction to mucus free menu planning. So all of that right there. And uh, so, yeah, it's been a very fun, fun show. We are mucus free. That'll be it for today. Until next time, peace, love, and breath. We are mucus free.